What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. In this week's episode, I am going to analyze some of the drivers behind the current hot housing market, as I believe a lot of people consider it. And one of the reasons why I'm doing this is because I got a message from a listener and um, he he wanted just to know my opinion on the market. And his, his opinion was that prices in his area had hit a certain level. And he was just of the view that he hadn't seen prices like that since 2008. And therefore, he has taken the view that he we are on the verge of a crash, another big, huge crash. And on that basis, he is out and he's going to get out of the market and he's going to sit in the sidelines and just wait for things to crash. And then he'll come in and buy up all the bargains. So are we in the process of going into a crash? And well, that is what I'm going to get into here today on this episode. And I believe there is quite a few things that you need to analyze quite carefully before you make that kind of decision because there's always a risk that you'll oversimplify it just basing it on say a price in the past versus having a look at some of the drivers and just make sure that you're calling it right i mean everyone has a bit of a crystal ball here and they're all kind of gazing in wondering what's going to happen but unless you've actually gone and analyzed it carefully you really don't know and so i'm going to see if i can answer the questions today and um so anyway, without further ado, let's get into the show. You are listening to Behind the Facade, and I am your host, Gavin J. Gallagher. On this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously, both in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and your behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. Welcome to the show. Hello, guys and girls. I just spent a lovely evening in Malahide Castle. There's a a kind of a Christmassy show on at the moment called The Castle of Light. And uh, just wanted to mention that I brought my family along and uh, really, really excellent kind of a thing to go to uh, lots of special lighting and all this kind of stuff very creative and just a lovely thing to go with the family so just thought i'd throw it in there uh, that's what i spent my evening doing and now i gotta get into recording this podcast so it's the start of another week and i hope you guys are all suitably excited for what you're going to achieve over the next 168 hours now 168 hours is a week And something I strongly urge you all to get into the habit of doing is to have your top three priorities on a list at the very, very beginning of each week. And those three things are, no matter what happens, no matter what curveball you receive or whatever kind of crisis you're dealing with, that those three things are going to get done and ticked off your list. And they should be something that is part of your long-term goals that you are looking to achieve over kind of a sort of much longer time period. So it's critical to what the you know the future that you're planning for yourself, but those three things are just stepping stones along the way. Anyway, that is uh, something, just a little tip that I like to give out every now and then, as you know. Um, before I get into the main topic of the show, Uh, which is the analysis of what's driving the housing market. I thought I would just start with a little bit of an update from my mastermind program. And the reason I bring it up is because we are now just six weeks away 
from the end of 2021. And I'm sure, like me, you guys are all starting to think about your goals for 2022. What are we going to achieve in 2022? What are we going to smash? I'd like to smash things out of the park, as I say. And it's funny, I just thinking back to pre-pandemic, I was doing this exact exercise back in 2020 or in 2019 and I was thinking okay so many weeks away from a new decade you know 2020 what are we going to achieve and I was planning on all these incredible things and sure enough COVID struck and it was a very different kind of a uh, 12 months but having said that I started the podcast and here we are 83 weeks into it episode number 83 and One of the reasons why I got thinking about this is because some of you may be thinking about starting your own property investment journey as part of your goals for 2022. And it occurred to me that if that is the case, then perhaps you would be interested in joining my mastermind. And I'm thinking what I'm thinking about is a January beginning. And, you know, a lot of people They think that they're going to sort of start going to the gym or they're going to do whatever. And so if you are thinking about sort of doing something important in the property investment space in 2022, then I've thought about, let's call this a Black Friday offer. And what it is, is basically that you can commit now to join the program in January. It's a, uh, I just need a small little commitment and then uh, I will put you down. But I'm going to, there's a kind of a whole special kind of offer where I reduce the price and things like that. If you're interested in this, then I have got a couple of things um, in the show notes for you to go and check out. But um, as a listener, I'm sure you're aware, the Mastermind was launched back in August. When I say launched, I guess what I really mean is I kind of soft launched it because it really was just the beginning of this sort of journey for me. I hadn't figured it out, hadn't even thought through like the, the format of it or whatever. And I reached out to, to the, on this podcast and I asked if anyone would be interested in knowing more. And quite a few of you came back saying that you would. And in the end, uh, a couple of you actually bit the bullet and jumped in and um, I call those my founding members and a great bunch of guys really going places and already a few of them have actually secured some nice properties and so the reason I'm bringing all of this up is because I would like to think that you guys might uh, you know be suitable for this program and its official launch being in January it would be something that you might consider joining as well and so if that is of interest to you i'm going to give you a website now i'll give you the address but i'm actually going to put it in the show notes so you don't need to worry but uh, it's going to be www.elitepropertyaccelerator.com and then forward slash offer and that is going to bring you through to the offer now i've put this in the show notes anyway and that offer uh, is going to be i basically put a video which explains the whole motivation behind the um, creating the program and how it's formatted and all of that kind of stuff. So it kind of explains it all. And then at the end, it goes into the, you know, this, the special offer that's on. And um, I'm also going to throw in six weeks of free coaching between now and January. So if you happen to kind of commit now, you'll be joining the coaching immediately. Uh, like basically as soon as you've heard this, you could be part of the coaching right up until the new year. So anyway, just thought I'd 
make that offer. Some of you out there might like to kickstart your new year, kick it off with a bang. I am going to be limiting this to the first 10 people who join my priority list. So if this sounds of interest, do not delay. Get on to me right away. There's an email in there that uh, I need to receive to actually know to put you on the list and get you into that top 10. So as I mentioned in the intro, there's a lot of people wondering about the housing market at present. Now it's super hot, uh, or sir, certainly that is the perception that it is super hot at the moment. And I, you know, from the guys in my own mastermind that we've been talking about, some of them have been going along to auctions and they used to go with cash to the auction. Well, when I say with cash, they'd be, they'd be cashed up and ready to kind of pounce uh, they wouldn't have to go and borrow money from the bank or anything. They'd actually be sitting on enough money to actually complete the purchase of the property in cash. And they've noticed that suddenly, instead of it being them versus, you know, four other people or whatever, they're now up against 44 other people or something of that nature. And so it's just becoming a bit of a bidding sort of mess and everybody's putting in their bid. And just when you think you've secured the property, another bid comes in and it's, it's, it's gotten a little bit frustrating. So I thought that it would be something that we might kind of have a look at today in a little bit more detail, just to figure out like, is this, you know, overheating kind of sense that we've got, is it what usually precedes a major crash? And I'm not sure it is. I, I'm going to be careful about how I present this because, of course, things can happen. I'm certainly very wary of the market risks out there at the moment. Now, I did a whole episode not so long ago about China and Evergrande. And I do think that that could be a catalyst for a major kind of shock to the system. Uh, I also am very, very wary of the US stock market at the moment because the the valuations are just astronomical. And when you hear them at the levels that they're going to, you just have to wonder, are we back in the kind of uh, the dot-com bubble number two? Um, that you know, I actually remember dot-com number one, and it was just crazy. I mean, you know, companies were putting dot-com at the end of their name and they were worth, you know, 500 million overnight kind of thing. It's just crazy. And it, it does feel a little bit like that now. And then lastly, we have the inflation issue that is definitely coming up. But the question is, will all of these turn into a massive you know, crash? Will this be a trigger that kind of sets off this kind of domino effect? Um, let's get into that. Let's have a look at it. So what I'm going to explore today, I'm going to get into a couple of areas, but the major ones are obviously supply and demand. And those are very very much interlinked but they're completely separate from each other and how they're kind of created and there's a thing called supply demand tension and that is a really big driver in terms of the pricing and the way the market is kind of behave over the next while now beyond that i'll be talking about you know affordability and a few things but let's i mean affordability and risks those are the ones that um you know they're also part of it but in terms of the real drivers behind the market supply and demand is the major one so let's get a look at the supply and to do that we need to go back a little bit and just have a look at what's happened in the last two years in march of 2020 most of the modern world entered into covid lockdown and this was an unprecedented you know pandemic all of that kind of stuff nobody had ever seen anything of the like the entire world or like something like four-fifths of the world went into a restricted lockdown where they couldn't go outside the door more than a couple of kilometers 
and it was really like quite a remarkable thing that happened and you can you might remember there was images from Mumbai and stuff you could actually see the Himalayas you know whatever it is 80 kilometers away prior to that they hadn't been seen in something like 40 years and stuff there was some just incredible stuff that was going on and what it caused in terms of a supply kind of um, interruption was all of the building sites stopped work the estate agents and the selling agents of pro for property stopped showing property stopped listing property stopped going to the office um, factories stopped factories that manufactured you know glazing roofing whatever it is you know doors carpentry all of that stuff stopped um, the companies that ship you know uh, timber and concrete and sand and you know whatever it is chips for computers all of that also stopped the boats stopped leaving the big ports uh, because the ports themselves were in restrictive lockdown. I think the guys that were on the boats were able to kind of go sailing around the world because they were kind of a, a crew to themselves. But they couldn't actually disembark anywhere or be kind of um, unloaded or whatever because the, the people on the shore were unable to actually do anything. And then in addition to that, there was all these lockdowns. So truck drivers were kind of finding it difficult to get around and they had to kind of... They were, there was a lot of restrictions and the whole world basically came to an abrupt halt. Now, you know, I've often used the, the metaphor of the, of the huge big super tanker kind of moving into a, a coast. And when it, when it wants to stop, it has to think about that, you know, about 20 miles before it needs to stop. And the reason is, is because it's got such momentum that it just takes that period of time to actually hit the motors into reverse and for it to actually eventually come to a standstill. And when you're talking about a, a kind of a global economy and you're talking about a market like a property market in any country, I'm not talking specifically Ireland here, I'm talking about the UK, the US, Australia, wherever it is, like for a market to kind of just suddenly stop like that for you know months at a time, that is a major interruption and it's just one of those things that when when everyone sort of started getting back and you think okay now everything's going to fire up it doesn't fire up overnight it's going to take weeks and maybe even months for things to kind of get back on track and as we have seen this is playing out now we're seeing trucks not able to kind of deliver enough stuff an awful lot of people that went into the pandemic have decided not to bother coming out of it in terms of employment and stuff. I've heard like that a lot of people who were working have decided to retire. A lot of people who were working in kind of jobs that um, they didn't necessarily enjoy, they have been out of those jobs now for so many months and they've been doing something else and they've been using the support from the government to do something else, whether that's online or whatever it might be, but they've figured out that you know they're going to do that instead and they're not going back so there's been a, ma a major sort of over upset to the labor market and i think we all know that I've, I've certainly seen it on sites with you know deliveries being slowed down and labor has gotten very difficult to get first of all and then when you do get it it's a lot more expensive so this had a major major impact on the supply of housing units and so there was, you know, there was a big fall off in the number of units being delivered. There was a big fall off in the number of units available to buy if they were secondhand units. And all of that 
leaving like i'm not even talking about the demand side i'm just simply saying from the point of view of supply and delivery into the kind of what we call the inventory of the market that has just been knocked on its head and because of that there is now a reduced inventory you would normally you know in any month kind of a typical market would have an average number of house sales or house closings that they would do and if you've gone through say six months where not a single house could be closed and then suddenly you come out of it well you've got all of the people that were looking to buy property during that six months and that is all pent up so the supply that should be there to you know the, the demand that should be there is maybe there but the supply has been stopped for six months and so you don't have the inventory there that has been kind of continually adding to it and so all of a sudden there is now a shortage in the supply and um, uh, you know that whenever that happens when you restrict supply to something if you restrict the supply to anything all of a sudden you'll find that the typical typically the price will go up so you'll see that uh, you know no matter what item you're talking about in the economy and like oil is probably a good one or if you look at um, you know one year ago during the uh, covid restrictions i can remember oil actually went negative in price because there was so much of it in the market there was so much of it sitting on ships they had couldn't unload these ships and because of that the price actually went below zero and i think it was something like minus 30 dollars for a barrel of oil and that was simply because there was so much of it now all of a sudden everyone's back and there's a shortage of it and sure enough prices have gone through the roof now property up acts in pretty much the same way the market has been massively sort of uh, short and because of that it is you know the, the market is just it, it's kind of reacting now to the fact that there's a big shortage on the amount of supply the supply should have been pumping it out for the last two years and it hasn't and so there's an undersupply but it's you know one of the things that we've got to be careful of here is that we don't simply blame covid for everything i think what we have to do is actually look back beyond the covid pandemic and actually kind of dig into the statistics and consider the supply over the last say decade because what's very important is that if you look at um, what's happened since 2008 it's it's really interesting to kind of see what's happened to the supply now you can look at this from for any market but i'm going to kind of drill into some of the irish market and i think it's not it's not necessarily you know because i i'm focused on the irish market it's actually just because the facts and the figures are kind of easy for me to kind of come up with off the top of my head but there's a critical aspect in the supply equation and there's different ways to work it out from a statistical point of view if you're talking about the supply and the inventory that a market needs you have got to be thinking about the statistics the census data it's all based on population now every single country has a government and the government comes up with a projection as to the number of housing units that it's going to need to actually kind of come up with and the reason it does that is because it needs to know that data it needs to know uh, how many schools do we need do we have enough teachers employed how many what kind of transport do we need how many hospitals do we have do we have the capacity of doctors and nurses for hospitals does the airport need to be expanded all of this kind of stuff is predicted based on the data like they don't 
they shouldn't maybe they maybe it doesn't always happen but they don't build stuff when they see that the demand is now crazy they try to actually preempt it and they try to kind of see that there's a population spike coming along and therefore we need to kind of like get ahead of this and we need to go and make sure that we have so many schools ready for when this population spike happens now as the population grows so does the supply of housing in order to kind of give homes to people who are going to want that and one of the reasons why that's important to government is because you're going to run into problems if there's not enough units and that is going to drive up prices it's going to make it an issue that becomes a bit of a complaint for the politicians and politicians like to do things that get them re-elected back into office and if you can't get a home for your kids or if you're you know if you're out there looking for a property and you simply can't find one that is an unpopular uh, thing for and politicians hate that so one thing i'm sure of is that the politicians do not want less housing they want more housing if at all possible but the problem is is that certainly in this country housing is something that's done pretty much by the private sector it's not done by the public sector we, we you know we do build you know so many houses and that's mostly for social yeah, you know kind of um, houses that kind of ha get handed over to people and things like that but generally speaking speaking this market is driven by the private sector and private sector meaning developers and funds and all of this kind of you know the people that buy and invest in properties now the affordable houses that the government want that is effectively the reason they want that is it'll keep people voting if you look up google right now type in how many housing units needed per year and then just add in your country's name and i just did it now and it, it comes up and i'm in ireland so it says here that it estimates that there are 30 to 35 thousand units per year that's the kind of the basic minimum that they need every single year without a hitch they just need 30 to 35000 consistently year in year out that's the delivery of units they need in order to kind of keep up with population demand now if you look at the units the number of units that are actually being completed today and if you look back over the last 10 years in 2020 we did 21000 units so we're a full 10 to 15000 units off where we need to be just to keep up with the population demand in addition to that if you go back a couple of years before that you're going to see that it's a real eye-opener because after the 2008 crash the supply of houses to the market dropped from get this 80 to 90 thousand units a year to less than 10,000 units and so for the years 2011 2012 2013 2014 and 2015 only 10,000 or less units a year were being built now back then the population requirements were still 30 to 35,000 units per year but we were only delivering 10 so every single year we were 25,000 short during those years now obviously it was different types of buyers so you might kind of cancel out say a couple of those years but what you have is at the time you had rampant speculation we were in a bit of a credit bubble all of that stuff was going on and so the guys were building 80 to 90 thousand houses a year they're putting up them 
them up for sale. People were coming along and buying them because they got easy money from the bank. All of that stuff was going on. But um, there was an underlying population growth that was feeding into it. And when you knock that on the head and you end up with 10,000 units a year being built for you know five years or six years in a row, you're just going to end up in a situation where you have this massive, massive undersupply. And suddenly the population caught up with all of the oversupply left over from the 2008 and before. And suddenly you're into a situation where now you've got this structural undersupply of units. So where are we now? We, you know, it's only in the last three years that we've actually gone above uh, 15 to 20,000 units a year. And so even in the last couple of years where there's massive, massive demand for, you know, property units and housing units, we're still not able to come anywhere near the delivery of that. And so we're going to be looking at a massive undersupply for possibly another decade or more. Now, the 2008 crash, the impact that it had actually was that most construction companies went into bankruptcy. And so the guys that were actually the, the, you know, the directors and the owners and all that kind of stuff, they ended up, you know, basically a lot of them actually went bankrupt themselves. S many of them moved abroad and certainly an awful lot of the people that were like tradespeople and contractors and subcontractors and all that, they had absolutely no choice but to move to another country because the Irish economy certainly, I can remember because I was living abroad, it was on its knees and there was just no chance if you were looking for a job you just weren't going to get one and so you had to go abroad and look for it so there is basically no longer any of those people available to work in the sector today and so the only capacity we have at the moment is to build twenty thousand units and that is flat out that is like everybody being overworked that is the the brick layers and the block layers getting paid a lot more than they were expecting to get. That is all of the laborers out there, you know, as busy as they've ever been, you know, basically every single day of the week they're required on site. Um, deliveries on it are all slowing down because there's just so much demand and all that. That is our maximum capacity is around 21,000 units at the moment. And so you can see we have a major, major problem here. We're unable to deliver the number of units to 30 to 35,000 units a year, we're only able to get 20,000, no matter how hard we try. So every year we're you know, undersupplying the market. That is just gonna make the supply issue even worse. And if you just multiply it out, like how many years now, 10,000 short, if it takes a year to build 20,000 units and every year you're 10 to 15,000 off, that means you really need another year just to catch up with where you should be and so for every year that goes by you actually need to build for two years in order to supply the number of units to that number of people so we are in a difficult situation now this is the case in the uk i understand and it's the case in the us from what i've heard all of the markets are very similar to this they all have massive undersupply of units and this is one of the major drivers behind everything that you're seeing these days. Now, the estimates at the moment, let's just go back to the Irish market for a moment. The estimates at the moment are that it'll take 16 billion euro annually in investment 
to get up to the level of 50,000 homes per year. Now, that is assuming that you can actually get the labor and the manpower and stuff into the country. If you're trying to get you know, people into the country to build 50,000 homes, you need to be thinking about where are they actually going to come from. They're going to, are they going to come from Eastern Europe or wherever, some part of the world? They're going to come in here and they have to go and find a place to live. They have to find a place for maybe their family to kind of live and go to school and stuff. Now, I have friends from that part of the world. And when they arrive here, like they just can't find property. So already we're into a bit of an issue there. But second of all, where's the 16 billion going to come from? And at the moment, the only way you're able to get your hands on that kind of money is by going to the big foreign investors and the big funds. And that happens to be politically very unpopular. You're hearing an awful lot of pushback these days from people saying it's not fair. All the big funds are buying everything and they're getting the apartment blocks and now they're starting to buy entire housing estates and stuff. That is because they're the guys with the money and they're not going to come in here and, you know, unless it suits them at the end of the day. And if we want to go and deliver 50,000 homes a year, that's the kind of thing we're going to have to do. So you can see the issue that we face. It's, it's both politically unpopular and it's also very difficult logistically, very difficult financially. And we're just in this difficult point where we're, just, we're going to find it extremely hard to catch up with where we need to be. So in short, the supply issue is not going away. It is not going anywhere. And the only thing that would change it is if demand were to completely change. And that is a good segue to get into the next part of this discussion, and that is demand. So demand is another component from the population curve. Now, each country is a little bit different, but Ireland is currently going through this stage where a large portion of its population are in their 20s and 30s. Now, if you go back to 2005, 2006 and stuff, an awful lot of those, those people were in their teens and the government actually saw this at the time from the census reports and they saw that there's a, a large number of teenagers and so a lot of schools started getting constructed around about that time so that there would actually be the schools there for all of the kind of young people that were coming along. And this is the problem now is that these people have actually matured and they're now in their 20s and 30s and that is the age when people start looking to either move out of the family home or to buy their own place or to rent their own place and move in with their girlfriend boyfriend whatever it might be and if that happens then you know you're getting into a situation where the population um it feeds those government statistics that's the that's where the 30 to 35,000 comes from and they need to know, um, you know, all of that, that, as I mentioned, for the schools and for the hospitals and stuff. But that, that's where the 35,000 houses a year comes from. It's from that population curve. But in addition to that, we've also got migration to consider. And the migration, if you think about the country, uh, it's viewed by many other nationalities as a very attractive place to relocate, primarily because of all of the jobs that we have to offer. You've got a huge tech sector in this country and a huge number of the tech companies are hiring people because of their languages. And I know in East Point, we've got Google in there and Google, they employ, I remember, I, I know when I go into the shop to actually kind of buy anything, there is every type of accent and I can hear them all speaking to each other in, in Russian, in Portuguese, in French. I mean, it's just, 
every different type of language. So there is jobs for any nationality if you come to Ireland, and that also features in the uh, the migration numbers. And we have to kind of add that into the figure. So with everyone looking for a place, um, it, it w then along comes 2020, COVID happens, and then the demand, what's gonna happen? Well, everyone is unable to do anything. So you kind of have to take a breather and just wait until the, wait until the market reopens. You still need a place. You still need to kind of move your family or do whatever you need to do. But because the supply was cut off, but the demand is still there, but the supply was completely cut off. And though that's when the market, um, th those in the market that were ready to buy, they had to wait. And then those who were kind of further behind that would perhaps kind of have come to the market six months or 12 months later, well, they actually joined the party and, and basically started sort of waiting for the next property to come along at the same time as the other people were sort of standing on the sidelines waiting for the market to reopen. So you end up with double the demand that had been there before. Now, let's think back again to 2008 and just consider what about the demand for 80 to 90,000 units that was there back in those days? Well, the problem is back then we were in this huge credit bubble and everyone was getting easy money from the banks. I can t speak from uh, personal experience. Uh, like we were speculating in property prices and you bought something this year, you could sell it for 25% next year. The banks were just handing out money. There was The hurdles for borrowing were extremely low. I, on multiple time, occasions, I borrowed 110%, which covered basically all of my purchase costs. And so I could just buy things and just kind of keep on adding. And it was all, it was kind of a crazy time. And look, I've spoken about that in the past. But you talk about that um, as one of the reasons why the housing market at the time went crazy. You know, builders were just responding to the amount of people that were out there in the market with cash ready to spend. Now, is it easy to, to point to the same thing today? No, it is not. It's very, very different market today. Why? Well, first of all, most of the banks got completely wiped out. They all lost all of their shareholders, lost everything, and it all ended up like bank owned uh, by the government. So the bank rules and the regulations are today exceptionally strict. You just cannot get easy money from the banks any longer. In fact, speak to anybody who is trying to get it at the moment, and they will tell you that it's like pulling teeth here in the Irish market. Uh, I know now from speaking to my clients in the, in the mastermind that it is easier, a lot easier in the UK to, to, to get money and to get you know investment um, finance for properties. And so I'll, I'll give that, but there is minimum income and debt limits um, before you can actually borrow. So here in Ireland, if you want to go and you know take a mortgage out in a home or something like that, you have got to have uh, a minimum amount of income that they'll, they'll only lend you three and a half times that income. Now in the UK, I understand that it's 4.5 is, uh, is the multiplier. And I mentioned in China, it's something like 25 or 27 is the actual average now. So it's, it's kind of crazy in China, obviously. And, and that is something that, you know, does look like a potential bubble that's going to blow up. But this demand is 
today what you're seeing is it's demand that's actually needed it's not speculators first of all and second of all it is extremely uh, well grounded in good lending practice the banks that are lending out this money are not making it easy and so everyone you see in the market who's trying to buy is actually has been vetted by the banks and they are not crazy people that are trying to kind of go out there and buy something as um, speculators these are people that are just trying to get on the property ladder or they're investors that have money and um, and are able to achieve the various limits that the banks request and also it's people of a certain age who want to buy their first home or they want to um, you know you've also got investors that are obviously renting out there because the rental market's very strong at the moment now I know at the moment you're in a situation where it's actually cheaper to buy a property and pay a mortgage than it is to rent it. Um, you can actually, the same property would cost you more to rent than it would to actually pay a mortgage down. So anyway, with limited supply and such a strong and sensible kind of demand out there, we're starting to see a run up in prices. And why is it suddenly shooting up? Well, it's all of the demand arriving into a market that has this really badly restricted supply and their supply has been restricted for about a decade but in addition to there being that kind of structural supply uh, you've also got this added now headache of the covid supply chain um, disruption and that's creating it a slowdown in the market and all of this is just creating this really serious supply demand imbalance and I frankly do not think that this is going to um, change I think you've just got you know those factors the fact that the demand is based on population growth and all that means it's not going away the fact that the supply chain is unable to deliver as many units as we need and it will never be able to, or it certainly doesn't look like it's going to be able to do it anytime soon. Maybe in five years' time, they'll achieve 50,000 units a year. And by that stage, they'll start catching up. But it'll take at least another decade before you've actually managed to catch up. So you're talking about potentially another decade of this kind of supply-demand imbalance. So how could there be a crash, right? Well, not so fast. There are risks, and I, ha I did mention them at the start. But the one that I really want to talk about the most is, you know, affordability. And, you know, I do think that prices have approached a level that many people in current average employment just simply cannot afford, especially with those mortgage rules. So the, you know, the same salary uh, that everybody is on equals the same mortgage or you know the size of the mortgage that you'd actually be able to take out and i know that because when we are you know building our houses we're very cognizant of the amount that people can borrow if people are unable to borrow beyond a certain level well then there's no point in us building houses beyond that level because you just won't have buyers out there you might find a very small limited number of people who can go to that higher price but then you're into this kind of limited number of people whereas if you want to have widespread interest in the properties that you're building and the likelihood that you'll have you know dozens of people being out there to, to buy them and, and get and pay you a strong price well then that's what you do you build more or less to that level that makes sense that you know that you're going to be able to find borrowers that can actually buy that 
So the biggest risk I actually see at the moment is inflation. And inflation, as we see, I mean, they're calling it at the moment, saying that it's at 4% or 5% or something like that. I can tell you that those figures that the governments use when they're talking about this stuff are so far, far off reality. I mean, anyone who's buying anything out there knows that the prices are much, much higher than that. I, I'm seeing kind of like 50% price increases, 100% uh, price increases in some, in some ways. And that gets passed on to the next purchaser. And so inflation is, you know, at risk of, of getting out of control. And the only way the government can really rein in inflation when it does start to go out of control is to raise interest rates. And if they do that, if borrowing rates start to increase, then you're going to suddenly find that there's a major affordability issue. And at the absolute limit, like if you've got at the moment, the affordability of homes is already at the absolute limit with lending rates at you know, the way they are and you know the restrictions of the banks and all that. I just cannot see prices being pushed much higher. And yet, if you're talking about the actual interest rates increasing, well then, I cannot see anybody being able to pay you know, an increased rate. If you're borrowing, if you're going out and going after a property as a young first-time buyer, and you've you know, you've done everything possible to kind of make ends meet and you've gone out and you're borrowing at say 2%. How are you going to cover 3% or 4% if it comes along to that? And it's very possible that it will go to that because if inflation is an issue, then you're going to have a situation where the rates do creep up and even just a 1% increase could represent like 50% increase in the outgoings on, on your mortgage. So I do think if that happened, there will most definitely be a dent in demand. And what it would do would actually, it would basically, it would push down prices, but not in a kind of a 2008 style, you know, crash down off a cliff. Because in 2008, what you had was, you had 80 to 90,000 apartments being built for speculators and suddenly the market, you know, the rug was pulled from everybody. The banks just all went out of business almost. And so the, just it went to zero. So the demand suddenly shot to zero. But if you're into a situation where the interest rates increase, the affordability, the demand will still be there, but the affordability will be the issue. And so what it could mean is that people will have to adjust their prices. I mean, there could be a situation where house builders might have to kind of like trim back the price a little bit because otherwise they're not getting the affordability. You might have a situation where people that are out there trying to borrow money, um, just suddenly the bank's going to tell them, well, sorry, here's what you can afford and therefore that's what your rate is. So people will have to look to buy cheaper properties rather than the one that they maybe had their mind set on. And all of this kind of stuff will come into it, but I don't see it as this massive you know precipice cliff face that you kind of fall off of and it goes to zero i do think that it, things could soften but i think softening is quite different from what we're talking about that happened in 2008 and so i do think that because of the massive demand out there and because of the supply sort of issues that i've already mentioned i actually think that prices could start to kind of stabilize pretty quickly 
and that the market would find its feet again and it would simply find its feet at perhaps a slightly at a new slightly lower level and what would happen is possibly uh, more uh, salaries would start to increase i mean if inflation is an issue then the next thing that happens is that salaries start to increase as well and if that happens then the salaries will eventually catch up and you'll get to the pl- the point where people can actually afford it and then as well as that as inflation comes under control it depends how long it takes but maybe it takes a year 18 months two years for this to happen and then suddenly the rates get dropped back and they want to kind of prop up economic growth again so they drop back the rates and you'll find suddenly that people can actually start to pay that little bit more so i just think that that is more likely to happen in the event of inflation now there is that is not to say that there could be some sort of a massive shock and um, and i'm gonna just you know having seen 2008 and the way it it kind of played out it is possible that some kind of a shock could come along and whether that's Evergrande or whether that's the u.s stock market but i think what's going to happen most likely in a situation like that is there that w- there would be some sort of a immediate panic stock market investors would all pile out um, of any kind of investment speculation they were doing around housing and stuff and so you might find that suddenly there's less people in the market looking to buy but those people that, that i mentioned the kind of the young people that are trying to find their first home they're still all there and you're you know the the the, the fifty thousand homes a year that we need to build we need to build that whether we're in a crash or not that's what the population demand requires in order to kind of catch up and get housing to kind of a level playing field where the there's kind of a bit more balance in the supply and demand and so um if you're looking at that when you've got demand that is so strong and just temporarily constrained by interest rates then i think there's a chance that prices will stabilize and then demand will resume and um, anyway borrowing costs have risen by the corresponding amount so you're not actually if you're sitting on the sidelines and you're thinking about you know i'll just wait for the prices to fall and when the prices fall then i'll jump in but you've got to think about this a little bit more carefully the likelihood is that the prices will have fallen yes but your borrowing costs will have risen so if you're using you know any kind of finance to, to fund your purchase then you're probably going to be in exactly the same boat as you were before the amount of rent that you collect uh, and versus the amount of interest that is actually being paid out is going to be the same as before because you'll be paying a higher interest rate for maybe the slightly lower price that you're paying anyway guys look that is it you know between that and the stock market overvaluations and all of that and then the possible impact that um, the chinese market and inflation you know there is risks there for sure so don't throw throw caution to the wind and dive in but i do think that if you can cover your borrowing costs um, and and definitely if you are currently looking to buy out there at the moment you should be looking to fix your rates for a couple of years and it, when, the, one of the reasons why i suggest that it's always kind of unattractive to do that if you go out now and start speaking to a bank the, 
and, and say they're quoting you 2% two, 2 or 3% or whatever it is, and that will be the floating rate. If you go and speak to those guys and say, what if I wanted to fix it for five years? That 2% will suddenly become 4% or 5% or whatever it is. So it's gonna be an awful lot more expensive. But the reality is, is those five-year rates are, you know, they're set by the expectation of what rates will be in a couple of years time. And so whatever those current rates are is the likelihood of where you're gonna end up at some point in the not too distant future. So you should be setting the rates that you're prepared to finance or, or the amount that you can afford. You should be basing it on the, the amount that the, uh, you know, the, the, the fixed five-year borrowing rates are because the likelihood is, is that's what the rates will eventually be. And I can remember doing that exercise in the past and I can remember thinking to myself, why would I go and fix my rates? Like, I, I, you know, I'll be losing out on all of this extra profit rent that I'm getting now from, you know, not paying that interest. And then sure enough, within about 12 months, the interest rates were creeping past that level. And I can remember being a little bit, you know, regretting saying, God, I can't believe that I, you know, turned that down. And now I'm looking back and I'm wishing that I had taken it because now all of a sudden I'm, I'm going with the floating rates and the floating rates have gone past that level and I have no control over stopping them continuing to go up. So it was a bit of a lesson. And um, anyway, guys, look, that's all I've got for you. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope you found it useful. And again, be sure to go and check out the offer for the, uh, for the mastermind. And um, that's the show. Thanks for tuning into another episode of Behind the Facade. If you enjoyed this or found it useful, please take a moment to leave a review over on iTunes or indeed share the episode out with a friend. This helps us grow the episode and reach more people. If you have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes, please connect with me via the Facebook group Behind the Facade community. Alternatively, you will find me on social media by my handle, Gavin J. Gallagher. You can stay up to date with all the projects I'm working on by joining my tribe. You can do that by adding your name over at gavinjgallagher.com. That's all for now. See you back here next week. Mm -hmm.